Guess what I'm drinking? <laughs> yeah. Fiji water. I know. No fair. Do, 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 do. You know, <laughs> hey, you know why? I know. I know. Because <laughs> a really smart guy said we should. <laughs> no, I had heard that on before. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, I, I was thinking when I listened back to the podcast, it's sometimes hard to hear what Dr. Axley was enunciating, you know, some of the time. And really? so I just, well, I just wanted the... You mean for you, for the for, untrained for ear. Yeah, yeah, for the untrained <laughs> See, when you do accents like me, like the English accent, when you do it so well, it's like my native language. So he was um, advising people to drink water that has silicic acid. I put a link to basically an article on his website, specifically like how to find a water that has the right silicic acid in it. And he did say, because I asked him at the end of this off the air, that you cannot just add silica to your water because I did that recently. I went and bought a silica concentrate to add to mineralized water um, that we got from, you know, filtered mineralized water. Um, and he said, you can't do it that way. It has to really come naturally in the right. certain amounts and right. the ratios, dynamic, the dynamic uh, ratios that they have. Um, yeah. So if you go to the resources on that episode, you'll see a link to something specifically that says how to uh, choose a water that has the right silicic acid in it. And I'm going to start. You've already started and I I've wanted to go to the store. and uh, I win. <laughs> but See. hey, but who's keeping score? 297 to 3. You literally have tally marks on your piece of paper there. The show Melissa in one column, Bob in the other column. Let's just say one side is heavily marked and one side just has a few little little things on on, on a day funny. I wasn't my, you know, That's myself. That's really funny. Um, okay. Well, we so, never really started the show, but we're oh, just kind okay. of chatting. But let's do chatting. that, and then I have a couple things I want to talk about. Okay, before right. we start. Okay. Well, start. me too. Ready? Okay. okay go. When you open the door for somebody else. Welcome, everybody, to the vaccine conversation with Melissa and Doctor Bob. How come you always get to do it? Well, you sort of like nod at me. Like, is this okay. like part of the patriarchal society that we live in? Is that what's going on here, right here? You're like, you know, Dr. Bob, you're in charge. You know, you go ahead and start the show. Of course, you should go. You're the man. Please, <laughs> I will step back and let you take the lead. <laughs> of course, anybody who's listened to this podcast is like, ah. <laughs> yeah, not that? quite. <laughs> you're not That's really the truth. funny. Well, I want to say, guess where I just was. I don't last actually week. know. Oh, I was like, I, was, I don't know the answer to that from today. Uh, last, last week, week oh, I yes. was in North Carolina. Woohoo. For a vacation. Just for, yeah, just for vacation a vacation in the winter. <laughs> no, I, would, uh, I flew out there. Cheryl and I flew out there to um, enjoy the birth of our very first grandchild. Yay, That's your granddaughter, right. uh, little uh, Beatrice. And we were totally thrilled. It was amazing. It is like, Super amazing to just hold a little tiny baby in your arms for hours and hours and while they sleep, while they're awake, just sit there and look at them. And that isn't your full responsibility. That's the added bonus, right? I know. Because you get to just yeah. hold the baby and pass the baby back off. Exactly. And you don't have to do yeah. the grunt work. Oh, I, you know, I think uh, the baby has a dirty diaper. Here you go, dad. <laughs> you you might dad. as well learn now. <laughs> it was amazing. So yeah, she really uh, stole my heart and mm. I, I got to really 
bond with her and I'm going back out there in about a week nice. from now again to to see her again and uh, I might have to fly out there several Grandpa several times a month. <laughs> no, probably several times a year at least. We, we want to be really connected. So that was very exciting. Super Did exciting. you ask the baby if she wants you to fly out that much to be that connected? I mean, doesn't she get a say in this? <laughs> no, she does not. Someone told me, who was I talking to? I was talking to yeah, I was talking to someone today who just had their first grandchild like a year ago. And then he said that uh, she's going to look at you like you are a superhero. You know, just that's how little kids look at their grandparents, hopefully. So that was totally awesome. Like way awesome. Well, that is so cool. I bet everybody is, everybody listening is very excited for you as well. Um, There was something else I wanted to tell you, but I forgot. So, oh, okay. Two things, two things, two things. First thing, let's talk about the podcast tour again. Okay. Okay. Well, can I say the first thing about the podcast tour? Oh my God, you just had a chance to say your first thing. (laughs) The fundraiser we announced last time. Hey, we're having a fundraiser on February 22nd. We are moving that to May 1st. Cool, exciting. We can update people online. So we're having one on on February 29th for sure in LA, but the the one down here in Orange County has been moved uh, to May 1st, just so people know. Honestly, the majority of our listeners are not in Southern California. (laughs) So they would not be able to attend. So, you know, that really just, it's a handful of people. Yeah. But the... But what was the first thing you wanted to talk about, Melissa? Thank you. Can I I just (laughs) complete a thought, Dr. Bob? (laughs) So... So the podcast tour. Okay, let's let's talk. Let's um, let's break this down for a second. We have, as we already announced, come up with eleven locations, eleven stops for us for live podcasting events, and we are in the process right now with Northern California and with Texas, as well as the New York and New Jersey team. And I haven't gotten to Connecticut yet to creating and facilitating the process of where are we going to be? What's the best city? Let's get a team on the ground to get this happening. And it's getting exciting because it's getting, it's more real, you know? So why don't we list all 10 now? Okay. We have Northern California, Texas, New York slash New Jersey, which may possibly turn into two different days and then Connecticut. So it might be a three-day weekend that time. I'll fill you in on that later. (laughs) Um. So our first, those are our first four that we announced. Okay. After that, I'm going to bring up our next locations for you guys so that you have them because people are messaging me and I, I've been answering this in private messages. I might as well just say it out now. So April, we have four different locations in April. We have Florida. We're hitting you first around April 18th and Georgia, you are next April 19th. So if you're in those two states, I hope you're jumping up and down right now. We should do it just right on the Florida Georgia line, you know, just like one talk. Just do one and be like, okay, you for guys all are good, you country yeah. music fans out there, Florida Georgia line, right? Yeah. No, 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 Melissa. Okay, no, so that was lost on Melissa. You guys, Sorry. super lost. She can do the accent, but she doesn't listen to the music. Okay. I can do the accent. <laughs> okay, so next, so that's April eighteenth and nineteenth, Florida and Georgia. The twenty fifth and twenty sixth is a really busy and exciting informed consent weekend because. We're going to be hitting Washington first, and I know you guys are ready for us. And then we're going to hit Oregon, and they're having that conference mm-hmm. um, in between the two days we're going to do. So we're going to hit Washington, visit the conference, and then do the next day in Oregon Look is looking like how it's going to be. Yeah. So that's April. So again, Florida, Georgia, Washington, Oregon, we got you covered. 
The last three uh, locations we're going to hit, we're going to do SoCal. Of course, we can't forget SoCal. This is where we are. This is where we're from. We're going to do a, a nice big event um, sometime in May, about the 16th or 17th. We don't have the date narrowed down yet. And the final set of locations that we're going to be doing is going to be in May. I'm sorry, in June, because Dr. Bob has some graduations for his family in the month of May. So no traveling until June, uh, the, the 19th or the 21st, somewhere in there, we're going to be hitting Michigan um, and Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin's going to be the Minnesota-Wisconsin border right there in Minneapolis. So okay. we're going to try to kind of hit three different states in two locations. This is in June. Uh, there might be another conference that's going to be out there at that time that I haven't told you about yet that they're going to try to coordinate us with that we can try to match up at the same time. Okay. That's going to be a big, a big event for like-minded people. So again, our 10 states, we're hitting California, Texas, New York, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Washington, Oregon, Michigan, and then Wisconsin, Minnesota border. <laughs> yep. And, um, and again, Jersey is kind of going to be next to New York. So somewhere in there we are hitting, this is as much as we could kind of do this first time around. So I hope everybody that's from there is excited and they're starting to get their gears turning. Um, what I want to say is we cannot do this without your help. So we've mentioned the fundraisers that we have here locally, but I know a lot of people would love to donate and have thought about it and are interested in what we're doing, interested in supporting this tour. And I think some people think, oh, maybe there's an event coming up near me, but it might not come up near, near you. So what I want to say is... Again, we cannot do this without you. So if you want us to come to these 10 states because you're one of them and you've been wanting to meet us and get connected with like-minded individuals and have this amazing live event where we can learn something, talk about research, science, interview great people, uh, talk about local activists and what they're doing in your state and all those kinds of things, um, then we need your support. So if you're waiting for something to come up, don't wait anymore. Please donate. Um, you can donate on our IEG website, immunityed.org or immunityeducationgroup.org. There is a take action button. It says take action and donate now. Mm -hmm. um, that will tell you where you can go to donate. You can donate through PayPal as a tax write-off deduction. You can also donate through Venmo if you don't mind uh, not having a tax write-off, which a lot of people don't. And if you want information on that, um, you can message me on Facebook or message us on, on IEG's Facebook. Um, every little bit makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think people think, oh, I don't have $20,000 to donate. Listen, we're doing this and cutting as many corners as we can. And we're trying to make this on a budget. We're asking for favors. We are not, this is not a, um, a price tag like other things in this community have been. Like we're really cutting corners to make this the least amount that we would possibly need um, to make this happen. But I know you guys want us out there. I've had, I've had probably hundreds of messages over the last year and a half asking for us to come different places. So we're trying to make the effort to do that. This is the time we need to do it. This is the time the momentum is big, but we need your help. We cannot do this by ourselves because equipment is probably the biggest cost. Post-editing, mm -hmm. you know, again, there's going to be a movie. So there's so much that goes into this. We have to hire staff, filming staff. Uh, none of this is going to us. This is literally all going to the project. So if you believe in what we're doing, you believe in the project of this national podcast tour, if you're behind this project, please do not wait. 
think of this as a good time to do a donation for your company or for your household that you can uh, maybe be a write-off later for you in some other way uh, down the line. We need your help. This needs to happen now. Um, And please don't wait because we can't move forward continuing to book these locations without having the money there to actually make it happen. If you have questions on this or need more information on how you can donate or what you want to do uh, as it relates to donating, we know you can sign up for recurring donations once a month. Yeah, and I can just remind people how to do that. I guess, first of all, if you have your own PayPal account already, then you can do recurring donations on our website through your PayPal account. And then if you go to our podcast website, and you'll see that actually on our Immunity Ed donation page, you'll see a link to our podcast website, um, or it's uh, it's also um, anchor.fm slash the vaccine conversation slash support. That's also on our um, summary words about each podcast episode. You'll see a bit.ly link that takes you to our uh, – actually, no, you'll see a support link that takes you to the support page. But I just want to give a shout-out. I get emails every time we get a new supporter. I'm, like, so thrilled. I, I love uh, – I'm hoping to meet each one of these people as we uh, you know, go around the country. So, But I just want to thank – you know, we have Jenna, Lisa, Sandra, Justine, Brooke, Christy, Rebecca, Christine – Dom and Michelle, Cameron and Erica. Those are all they, they actually list them right on our, our, our own dashboard page and, and the monthly monthly support. That so thrills me and I so appreciate it because I uh, just we love having you guys as partners and again all of this is is going to to fund this project that we're creating that is gonna be such an amazing tool for you to be able to show people in for many years to come how to get the entire vaccine conversation all in a number of you know uh, dedicated episodes that are going to be specifically geared towards the most important topics. And before it's always been like icing on the cake, but unfortunately now it's not icing on the cake. It's actually a necessity. We need it. We don't have any big funders. We it's don't actually have... the cake. <laughs> yeah, it's the cake, the grain-free cake. We don't have like people that are bankrolling us in any kind of way. And we don't have like pharma money like everybody else yeah. does on the other side of this. And so we really rely completely on you guys to make this happen. And of course, we're a little ambitious saying we're going to take a 10 state tour, but I know we can do this. I really believe Mm -hmm. in this project. This is like my passion project. Like, I'm so excited about this. I really want to be able to meet you guys and come see you and do this in person. The energy that you feel in these kinds of things is like unparalleled. It's so amazing. And so I want to do this, create this and really connect this national thread. It's so important to me. So please help us do this. Every little bit helps, which means every little bit that you're able to do with all the listeners that we have, which by the way, we hit over a hundred thousand plays this month. Yeah, I know. It's the first month that we that's broke awesome. 000, That's so amazing. Yep. So with all the listeners that we know we have, a little bit from everybody will be just what we need to get this done, mm-hmm. finished, and moving forward. And um, and don't worry, you're not going to see us in like new Armani clothing or something. <laughs> this, you'll see me in my same like TJ Maxx outfits when I come meet you on, on tour. <laughs> you can be sure of that. Um, none of this is yeah. going to us, okay? Yeah. So just yeah. to be clear, um, everything goes to making this, this project happen. So Mm -hmm. please help us. 
Um, I don't think people like really realize how much we sort of need it, but we do need it. And if you want us to come to you, this is the only way it's going to happen. Because if we don't have the money to rent the equipment or buy the equipment and get the um, staff members that we need to, to make this happen, it, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody would be so disappointed if if all of a sudden this wasn't able to be, except for, I'm sure there's some, some people that, <laughs> that I can think of that would be probably very excited if we do not do this podcast tour. And that's exactly why we we have to do it, you yeah, guys. Yeah. We cannot falter and we cannot right. um, succumb to the pressures of of this other side. We have got to keep educating. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. That's what I wanted to say. Awesome. And I guess I'll just wait to say my second thing as the beginning of the next episode. Okay. And since that I, took so long. So sorry. I have one more thing too, and I'll just wait for the next Oh, good. You wait too. for yours and I'll wait for <laughs> I'm going to write mine down right now. No, uh, no, actually, I said all my four things. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. We'll see. There you go. Four. <laughs> All right. Not my fault. Anyway, back to today's topic, which, oh my God, a study suggested by Dr. Bob for once. I think this is like the first time. (laughs) This may be like one of the first times that, because I said, let's do a study. I I gave you some guidance on that one because I said, I want to break down. I like breaking down studies. And then you said, here, you had a link. It was interesting. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's you. you You're leading it. I love it. You're welcome. So why don't you tell everybody what this study is about? Okay. Well, the study, of course, we will give you a link. Um, but I, I, I even find the title of the study interesting because it's kind of a little... It's very long. <laughs> it's very long, but it's kind of, it's, it's misleading. Like they, there's a very um, problematic finding that, they, that, they, that the study you know, has in the conclusion and the title doesn't even really you know, tell you the truth about well, how it. How so. else would it be published? Otherwise? I know, I know. So, <laughs> so it's a randomized controlled trial of the safety and immunogenicity of tetanus diphtheria and acellular pertussis vaccine immunization during pregnancy and subsequent infant immune response. Okay, let me translate that for everybody. Okay. So this is a study that's discussing women that are vaccinated with the Tdap vaccine, which is tetanus diphtheria and pertussis, while pregnant, and now they're recommending after 30 weeks. Originally, it used to be between 20 and 30 weeks. Now it's after 30 weeks. And then the subsequent response to infants as far as their ability to show antibodies. Right, from mom's vaccination. Yeah, right. Right. But then it also looks at how infants respond to their own vaccination right. the primary as they series. go through yeah, the first year of life. So it's a very fascinating study. And this is in Canada, right? And this was 2018. Oh, beauty. Um, this is done, I think 2018. So it's new. This is actually, you know, relatively new. Um, and what did you think? What overall thoughts before we go into it? Well, can I share like the, the finding that I was most excited about that kind of led me to this or do you want to save that for the, uh, that's okay. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I mean the, the, for me, the big gist of the study, you know, besides just sort of pretending to do safety research, um, is that the study basically, um, they gave, you know, what, like 200 and something moms. 273. 273 moms, the, either the Tdap vaccine or the tetanus diphtheria vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they divided them in half, gave, gave one half the whole Tdap, one half TD without whooping cough. And because they wanted, they, and they did decided not to do an inert placebo, because shocker, they, yeah, I know, I'm so shocker, shocked. Right, oh, right. wait, are you serious? They tested a vaccine against a vaccine. That's I know. So, so surprisingly, <laughs> all the uh, adverse events were, were equal the in this individual group. 
No, but they wanted uh, to specifically test what happens to people who who just get a pertussis vaccination during pregnancy. What happens to the moms and what happens to the baby? They wanted that to be like the only difference. And they basically um, they measured the the um, pertussis vaccine antibodies in the umbilical cord blood when the babies are born. And um, they tested, I think, the the mom's antibodies as well, but that wasn't that big of a part of the study. And then they tested how the mom's uh, antibodies from the pertussis vaccine, how long they lasted during infancy, when they peaked, and and how they waned. And then they also tested the baby's own immune system response to the baby's vaccines at two months, four months, six months, and 12 months. And the reason they had to test this is we, we've always known that whenever a baby gets immunities from a mom, like uh, through the womb, you know, transplacental antibodies, whether it's a mom who had a natural disease like measles or chickenpox or a mom who had a, vaccinate, a vaccination-induced immunity, the transplacental antibodies that float around in the baby and are supposed to protect the baby, those antibodies actually block the effectiveness of vaccines. Those antibodies reduce how effective the baby's own shots are going to be because when the baby gets a shot and the baby starts to mount antibody response, mom's antibodies that are in the baby interfere with that. Mm. So the baby does not respond as well to a vaccine. And they wanted to see, they know that's true for measles mm. and, and mumps and maybe rubella vaccine. And they know that's true for chickenpox. So moms who have had those diseases, that's why we don't give those vaccines to babies until they're one year old. We have to wait until all mom's antibodies mm-hmm. have gone away so that the baby's on one-year-old vaccine will work. And that's why if you wait until 15 months to do an MMR vaccine, it works even better. Because right. there's been three more months for mom's own natural antibodies to leave the baby. And the mother's antibodies are still sufficient, though. To protect right. from something like measles, right? right? Yeah, yeah right, exactly. But is that yeah. not true for pertussis then? Right, so for pertussis, they didn't know. They mm-hmm. didn't know if, if any of mom's antibodies would interfere with the baby's own vaccines. And so that's what the study was designed to do. And they, they found, that, well, we'll tell you the details, but the gist of it is they found that, yes, when a mom gets a Tdap vaccine, that the baby does get antibodies from the mom, you know, from the vaccine, and the baby has, you know, a pretty, you know, certain level of antibody protection um, for the baby's first couple months of life. But then those mom's antibodies wane. But then when you give the baby his shots, the shot doesn't work as well. And you give the baby a second shot, and that shot doesn't work as well. And then by the third shot, the baby's vaccine kind of does work somewhat. But then by 12 months, the, the, the baby's own vaccine protection is, is low again. And then mom's antibodies even, even interfere slightly with how effective the 12-month booster doses. And even after 12 months, they even I think they mention. So just to, yeah. to break it down and summarize just in a couple lines, basically, and we're going to go through this, but basically what the study is saying is while there is antibody presence that is strong in infants that were born to mothers who had the vaccine during pregnancy in those first couple months. By four months and especially six months, the numbers start to plummet. And then when they're getting their own vaccines at two months, four months, and six months, their protection from their own vaccines is way less than the babies who were born to mothers that did not get that vaccine during pregnancy. So by six months, 
you have the babies that for the mothers that had TD, which is not TDAP, and those mothers that did not have the pertussis component have babies with higher levels of protection from their own vaccines than the babies who have okay. still gotten all the, the primary series of, of DTAPs. But the, their mother who was vaccinated during pregnancy, that that interference, like you're saying, basically creates an inability or what they say blunting the mm-hmm. immune system of the infant to where they are no longer really able to protect themselves from that point on. And this is a really super interesting finding, I think, because, you know, the assumption is that vaccines only help you. And nobody's right. really talking right. about what happens if you get this one vaccine over here, but you have this sort of unintended consequence over here. And in the end, they try to come to a conclusion saying, well, it doesn't matter because in the first couple months, that's the most risky period of time. And so at least we're covering that point. But as we've seen over the last couple decades, as a society using acellular pertussis, uh, we've got, you know, the rise of pertussis now is is back. And so is that really okay that this is now shifting that disease burden? Mortality might not be the issue, but again, it's only a handful of infants that really die from pertussis, even with the thousands and thousands of cases. Right, it's roughly 10 infant fatalities every year. And it could be 100,000 or more cases across the nation. There's not like a very, very high mortality rate even then, but shifting that disease burden, we're seeing outbreaks now at all these different ages, um, several different intervals actually that we're seeing because this immunity is wearing off, wearing off. What if a lot of these children don't have the ability to hold any antibody protection from the vaccine that they're getting, even five doses, six doses, all because their mother was vaccinated when they were pregnant and this baby was, as a fetus, having this this, um, intersection of, you know, immune response coming from the mother and from them. And it basically things got mixed up right. and it's, it's affecting their ability to sort of protect themselves. This is a really interesting idea. And then what do you do with that? I know. And it, it gives me sort of the conclusion that they really don't know what the heck they're doing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I mean, they, they make a vaccine. <sighs> um, you know, they, they give it to kids for many, many years and they say, Hey, well, let's just give it to pregnant women. Um, without even researching what it does, without even knowing whether it works. Because this is new. Right. And they've been giving it to women during pregnancy now for, I want to say, close to 10 years as yeah, almost I, I, regular practice. I forget when they started, honestly. Because uh, that other study yeah. I had was 2011. So oh, yeah, you know yeah. they were already discussing Tdap yeah, in pregnancy yeah. then. Yes, but they, they just arbitrarily start doing these these vaccines, like you said, thinking that all it can possibly do is good. There can't be any negative consequences. And then now we see a negative consequence and they, they try to justify it by like kind of like you alluded to is is at least we're giving babies protection from the vaccine um, in the first two months of life before the baby can get his own vaccine. And they say it's okay that the baby's own vaccine there then doesn't work as well because they actually say almost all the fatalities occur mm-hmm. in the first three months of a baby's life. So they say we, we we're giving protection during that time. So it helps. So what I kind of wonder is, well, I mean, if, if the goal is to prevent fatality and and get mom getting the vaccine, if that's going to help prevent fatality, but then the baby's vaccines are not going to work very well. 
Um, wouldn't it make more sense to just not even give the baby pertussis vaccines, you know, protect the babies with, with mom's vaccine in the first, you know, two, three months of life. So the baby doesn't die, but then, you know, um, you're giving, you know, uh, five doses of, va- of a vaccine that can cause a lot of severe reactions. A triple antigen right? vaccine. Yeah. That's, you're not just getting pertussis right. by itself. That's the thing that people forget. You cannot get pertussis vaccine by yeah. itself. So every single dose that you're getting because you need the pertussis protection, because it wanes yeah. so quickly, yeah. you have to get three antigens yeah. every single time. But, but they just don't know what they're doing. They, I mean, I wish they would just, you know, come up with a vaccine idea and then don't implement it, yeah. study it for 10 years to make sure you're making the right call. And we, we actually have a, a, another study we're going to talk about a little later that, that actually shows another problem with whooping cough vaccine when we give it to kids directly. But yeah, I don't like these unintended consequences and then how they mm-hmm. try to justify it saying, oh, it's okay, the vaccine doesn't work very well later, at least we're or giving babies protection early. Well, what if too, they're not studying this because that was not the point of this particular study, but what if it's also affecting how well other vaccines are working for these infants? Yeah, so they looked at um, antibody levels to Hib vaccine mm-hmm. and it did not impair, mm-hmm. like the mom's pertussis vaccine did not impair baby's Hib immune, immune response. Mm-hmm. And, then, the and then they studied polio immune response and I'm pretty sure it did not impact polio immune response either. I forget the, act, the actual number, but I'm pretty sure it did not uh, impact polio. Um, although I don't see the data here, but that was one of the ones they studied. Um, no, because there's, there's specific, you know, it, it has to be like disease specific. So mom's pertussis vaccine would only kind of inhibit the baby's pertussis response. I just wonder over time is what I mean, like more like the idea that you've got this, um, again, intersection of immune response between maternal antibodies and now this artificially induced vaccine response, um, which again, it's artificial. You're supposed to be passing on your maternal antibodies and the baby's supposed to have that in those first you know, 12 months. And so putting something else in line with that is creating a problem because that's not sort of how nature was designed to work. Um, And like I mentioned to you before we started rolling, I wonder too, you know, with the infants that do die from pertussis, I'm really curious to find out how many of these babies, whether nine or 10 of them or so on average, um, are breastfed. How many of these babies are breastfed and are given, you know, um, protection from that and how many of them are not breastfed and therefore are at more risk of suffering complications. Cause we did an entire episode about breastfeeding and how it reduces risks of so many different diseases, um, through the data. We showed that in season one, my guess would be you're a lot more protected with that. And there would be a decreased risk of mortality with that alone, you know, with that alone, that that's something to throw in here, but they never talk about that. You know, and then when we're discussing these types of things, all they talk about is whether or not the vaccine did anything. And remember, what was it like a couple months ago, several months ago, I told you, I looked at the state data for California uh, on the, the women that had been vaccinated with Tdap. And it was about 45% of pertussis cases in infants were coming from mothers who had been vaccinated. Yeah. It was like 40 to 45%. Yeah. So we're talking about a significant portion of those with pertussis. And these were infants had mothers who were already vaccinated. So 
is it... I have to clarify by saying that they're measuring antibody levels. Right. And you've said this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what episode, but I remember you talking about this. The presence of antibodies in the blood is not necessarily the same thing as proof of the ability for the body to mount an antibody response or an, a, you know, a sufficient immune attack against that antigen or that bacteria virus that comes into your body. This doesn't necessarily prove that these babies, if the pertussis bacteria got into their system, that these babies would be able to fight it off. Right. It's just measuring levels. There, there's the presence of antibodies. Right. Right. And what they're estimating is a sufficient level. But there's really no data that actually shows that they they were presented with it, they were exposed to it, and they fought it off. And we have no data that really shows any of that. So all this right. proof about why the Tdap is necessary during pregnancy is all based on this um, hypothesized idea that the presence of antibodies is going to be enough every single time if you're presented with it. And you know, there's really no proof. I mean, in my eyes, yeah, yeah, and um, that is another thing that bugs me. Is is again, they they don't know what they're doing because. They're, um, again, assuming this vaccine can only do good. Mm -hmm. They're assuming if it gives a baby measurable antibodies, that those antibodies must be effective in preventing disease. What they have not done is proven that um, babies whose moms got Tdap during pregnancy have like a a lower rate of pertussis and a lower Mm -hmm. mortality rate in the first few months of life. They've not proven that yet. And I think they should be required to prove that before they make this recommendation. Because it's universal now. I know. I know. You know where it started? Do you remember where this recommendation came from? Was it after the outbreak in California? It was our, your friendly neighborhood, California Public Health Department, took it upon themselves to start recommending Tdap vaccine for all California pregnant women. It did not come from the CDC. It did not come from any sort of infectious disease, you know, departments anywhere, or they didn't do like research and figure, hey, we need to do this. We had an outbreak of of pertussis and the public health department said, hey, we have this vaccine. We have no idea if it's safe for pregnant women. We have no idea if it's even going to work. Let's recommend it to everybody. And that's how it started in pregnancy. And then the CDC adopted it like six months later, and then it went nationwide. But imagine a public health department that has no no knowledge of, 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 of this vaccine safety or efficacy in pregnancy yeah. making a recommendation like that. And and we, you know, the, us, the, the voters have given them the power and the authority to to do that. And that's that's concerning because we keep voting for um, senators and and assembly people that are willing to give the public health department extra powers and and I'm like sure it. they they did know that you're saying about efficacy they didn't know about efficacy in pregnant women but they sh- they sure knew because everybody knows it's very documented that the efficacy of the Tdap vaccine is not very good um, right you know at best what I've seen is estimates about eighty percent at best and it wanes in some cases. Within a year, you literally have no more protection. Um, And so I feel like they continue to um, recommend this vaccine over and over because they're so familiar with the fact that it doesn't last. But what they don't tell you (laughs) when they keep recommending it is that it doesn't last. They don't, they never say that. I I have never heard somebody go, well, you know, the booster, you know, like a commercial, the booster for the pertussis vaccine doesn't last long. So make sure and get it every 12 months. Nobody's saying it, that it doesn't last long. They're just saying they, they do the scare tactics of, 
if a baby near you just is born, newborn, mm-hmm. you all need to get this oh, vaccine yeah. or your, yeah. or this baby could die. Yeah. Or um, it's, you know, it's, it's the winter time and people are sick. People, you might have pertussis. This, this has been fatal. Like you could, you know, your children could be at risk. You all need to get like, everything becomes this very, very scary thing. What they're not telling you is the reason we're promoting this vaccine is because it wanes so quickly. Right. That yeah. That's why we need you yeah. to keep getting it. It'd be like getting a flu shot twice a year. Right. It barely works, so let's just give it again. <laughs> but the, they're not being honest. That's the thing that really kills me. Why not just be honest and say, you know what? This vaccine gives you a couple years of protection. Um, that's about it, though. And so if you want to maintain that protection, you're going to have to keep getting your boosters. If you don't feel yeah. comfortable with that because of the safety risks, then do it once every 10 years or whatever it is. They're, they don't just lay it out there for you. Instead, right. they make you feel shame or guilt yeah. if you're not one of the people hopping on board. And I, and I realize they said in the study, too, it doesn't matter the last time you were vaccinated, they still want you to get it during pregnancy. I know. They want you to get it during every pregnancy. Every pregnancy. Every single pregnancy yep. with no safety research on that. that. And they did not, by the way, these are not necessarily women who've ever had pertussis. Right. Th- that was not like part of the process right. at the beginning um, to make sure, because it would be different if it was measles, right? Because if you would have had it, yeah. you'd have this protection. But that's one thing a lot of people don't know about pertussis is you can have pertussis and it does not have lifelong protection right. like any other wild infection might have. Like pertussis right. is one of the ones that you can get the wild infection and you still may not have immunity forever. Right. You you have pretty good immunity. Like if you get the natural disease and you've never been vaccinated, you actually will have some pretty good immunity. Definitely not lifelong. Yeah. I mean, maybe in rare cases, lifelong, but you'll have way better immunity for, for many years, way better than the vaccine would sure. give you. But yes, you can, you can eventually catch it again. And it's kind of somewhat unpredictable, but we, you know, we, there are, we'll show you the next study eventually, but it, if you actually got the vaccine, you're actually more likely to get natural pertussis. wild pertussis later in your life. But um, I'm just curious how many of these women actually had pertussis and how that would have affected. How that impacts things. I know. Yeah, the that maternal antibodies. I mean, that's, yeah. like, that's the kind of study you want to see, right? Yeah. Oh, you had pertussis. How much protection are when they measure your, the blood of your infant? How much protection was passed and, and how long was that passed? And yeah. if you did decide to vaccinate that child later at four months or six months or later, how did that affect their ability to respond at that point? But or did you even need to? Like you're saying, do you even need to do the primary series right. if you have enough of that antibodies? I mean, I think it comes down to like the medical establishment basically thinking, we're going to vaccinate everybody and it's going to do exactly what happens when your body produces an immune response to a wild infection. It's right. going to be just the same. We're just going right. to make it happen versus it happening to you. And what nobody wants to admit is that these two things don't look anything alike. The response does not right. look the same. Especially with this disease. As, yeah, right? especially with this. You know, could you imagine if an OB or a midwife is counseling every pregnant woman, and if they were going to be truthful, yeah. the discussion would basically have to be, we have um, you know, this vaccine for, you know, a Tdap vaccine for whooping cough. Um, there's some safety research, but not much. We really have no idea what effect it's going to have on your unborn baby or, or after your baby's born. We know it'll produce antibodies. We know it'll make it less likely that you will catch whooping cough, you know, now and, and, and uh, you know, after the baby's born. We know the baby will get antibodies, but we really don't know if those antibodies work. 
We don't know if it's really going to protect your baby, but we hope it will. Oh, and by the way, um, there is uh, aluminum in it, and aluminum is a neurotoxin, but that's okay to inject into your into mm-hmm. your unborn baby. Um, and also, by the way, getting this vaccine, we now know, will make your baby's own whooping cough vaccines not, not work, work as yeah. well. Could you imagine that so, Yeah, could you imagine telling parents that? Not even including, <laughs> oh, and by the way, there are all these adverse events that right. are associated with it for you as an adult, but also for your baby when they do go through their primary series. Right. And, um, and by the way, there's formaldehyde and, and all kinds of other things in there and... Um, but, but it's okay. There's not a single discussion of any of that. It's simply, here's the vaccine. It's going to save must, your baby's life. You must take it. Yeah. Every oh. woman that is going through you traditional... Tell I'm bugged by this. <laughs> all these traditional uh, OBs that you're going through now, every woman listening to this has been pressured, if not convinced, to get it. This is not an optional thing anymore. They are really pushing this as if... This is what is required to maintain the standard of care to protect this infant and protect you. And there's really just no data to support that this is doing really anything that's that's worth it to require this universally. And then the big point of this study was basically comparing the um, immunogenicity uh, of of the infants and again the mothers as well after vaccination as the baby is born and following that baby for even post 12 months so i i'm guessing maybe around 13 or 14 months because they said just after the first mm-hmm. um that the 12 month um booster and their results were really interesting um and it's funny to look at the graphs too because some of these graphs yeah. just plummet <laughs> but basically they're saying you know these these rates were high they they're high up until a certain point you know 2 months maybe they're peaking um and then by 4 months there's not a significant increase over the other TD group anymore. And by six months, it is now dropping below. And by seven months, they are significantly dropping. And so again, you've got infants whose mothers were not vaccinated, who've had their um, regular primary series of DTAP that have higher levels of antibody response at six months and on than the mothers uh, that were vaccinated with those infants. And again, this comes down to what What's happening between the maternal antibody response and the infant antibody response to its own vaccines? It's not able to handle its own vaccines in a way that actually has success. And that means that that child, by four months, technically four months and on, is now more susceptible to catching pertussis. I was looking at these graphs. These graphs are the baby's antibody levels. And I, I didn't realize this, honestly, the first time, you know, when I first looked at this study, it shows um, babies' antibodies to the, you know, the pertussis toxin, other components of the pertussis germs. It basically shows when the baby's born, the baby has a certain, like, level of, mm-hmm. of uh, pertussis antibodies from the vaccine. That level plummets. Yeah. That line is a sharp curve. That that goes, you know, that goes almost to nothing by the time the baby's two months old. Right. And then the baby gets their own vaccine at two months. They don't even get any antibodies mm-hmm. after their first vaccine. The antibodies keep dropping, um, which which is really shocking to me. And then after the four month vaccine, the antibodies start to climb, but the antibodies don't even get get that high again until after the six month vaccine. And then what happens after that? Mm-hmm. 
And then it plummets. It, it, it drops plummets. dramatically after the six months. In just vaccine. a month, which means you're getting, you have like a month right. of protection, not even. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, um, you know, the, the babies who, uh, whose moms did not get Tdap vaccine, just got the tetanus diphtheria vaccine. Their, their, the baby's responses to the pertussis vaccine, their own shot, they get the shot at two months. Their antibodies start to go up, not down like, like mm-hmm. the Tdap babies. Their antibodies go up and they go up higher and they go up faster after their four month vaccine than the babies who got, whose moms got Tdap. So it's really showing some very, very clear interference. Mm-hmm. Again, these graphs on, on the, I don't know, the fifth or sixth page of the study, it shows a very significant interference where the, the baby is getting almost very little protection until they get that six month dose mm-hmm. again. So it, it, it calls into question. I mean, yeah, babies are born with immunity, but that immunity is like cut in half almost by the time they're one month. And then it's, it's super low by the time they're two months and they don't have any good immunity until the six month dose. And then it um, drops a month later. It's all the way back yeah. down again. Yeah. So, so to me, this is very problematic in that, I mean, if this was a harmless vaccine, that would right. be one thing. But this one vaccine is known to cause seizures. It's known to cause encephalitis, even rare encephalopathy. It's known to cause nerve injuries. Um, this vaccine is just one of the ones with the highest side effects for babies. And mm-hmm. now we're giving – the fact that we're giving it to moms is, is making the vaccine just not even work as well. So mm-hmm. it was maybe questionable – benefit, you know, like risk benefit analysis before, but now that you're getting even, even less efficacy from the right. vaccine, that even shifts that equation Same even, risk. E- even more, mm-hmm, yeah, no benefit. Uh, e- even more towards the side of maybe questioning, is this even beneficial to you? So it's, they do mention too, that basically the mother's antibody levels by 12 months are steady decline. Like before the one year period, her yeah. protection is down to almost nothing. And they do mention several other studies that have the same, uh, the same conclusion as it relates to adults and waning immunity. Waning immunity for pertussis is such an issue. Um, again, yeah. it's an issue with older children. It's an issue with teens. It's an issue with adults. Like people don't realize, but your protection level is so so short. Um, and and you're and you're accepting the risk, the full risk for very short protection. I don't think the public knows this. I think the public assumes I'm getting my booster. I'm going to be good for several years. But you're not, mm-hmm. and they're not telling mm-hmm. you that. And then you're you're accepting the risk every single time. What if you had to get it every year to have protection? I mean, could you imagine the toxic load on your body after 20 years of yearly Tdaps? Because you you guys yeah. you cannot get the pertussis vaccine by itself. So right. if you wanted that protection, even if you voluntarily chose it, knowing the risks you would still have to get a triple antigen every single time. I know, and realize that the tetanus diphtheria vaccine was only approved to be given as a booster every seven to 10 years. Mm. 
that's how they approved it. And they're, you know, their safety research and that's all you need. Now they're wanting pregnant women to get a, a TDAP. Every single time. Yeah, every single, which could be, you know, every year and a half, every two years. This if goes you're back to my whole wonder about yeah. hyperimmunity and what happens when yeah. you have too much of something. You already have enough antibodies for tetanus or diphtheria and now you continue to give it extra only because you're trying to get the pertussis component and you can't get it any other way. Same thing with MMR. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It's like you want to get measles vaccine. You can't get it by itself. You have to get these other things. What if you already had some of these other things as a child naturally, and now you have to have this MMR as the only vaccine you can get for measles protection in order to go to school or to follow your state laws? And and what does that do to the body when, when there is too much, too much immunity, too many antibodies, too much immune response? I feel like there's definitely a story there that nobody's really covering. I think we should probably do a podcast maybe on a hyperimmunity, yeah. this idea of hyperimmunity. Yeah. So blunting the immune system. You know, do you remember when that was it a year ago that <laughs> the other side threw out the article about um, uh, having the wild measles vaccine? Uh, sorry, the wild measles virus actually makes you you have that immune amnesia. Yeah, remember when yeah, that came out? Yeah, and that was like yeah. all over every news yeah. network, right? Because they yeah. have the ability to do this. Yeah. If if the roles were reversed here, and this and so. The, the side with all the money and media access found a study that showed this, the blunted immune shows it doesn't even work well. Like yeah. this would be on every news station saying you're getting four vaccines, four, four um, triple antigens. So t- essentially 12 vaccines in your first year that may not be doing anything for you because your mother got the Tdap when you were right. pregnant. Right. Like that's a big story. Yeah. It's yeah. A big you, deal. Yeah. You know, whenever, like whenever we find out, a pharmaceutical company has made a mistake with one of their medications or their medication is, is causing harm or is causing some negative you mean like effects. After like 200 people die before yeah, yeah. we have to find that yeah, out. Yeah. And they, and that's all over the news and it's a big deal. And, and everyone's very, very uh, happy to report it, but yeah, not so with vaccines. Every time there's a problem discovered with vaccines, um, you know, I didn't know about this study. Yeah. The study is, is over a year old. And I came across this study because I was reading something else about whooping cough. And this mm. is kind of showed up as like a related article. And I was like, wow, how did, you know, how did that go by without anyone noticing? Well, this quote tells me everything. The clinical significance of the blunted immune system response to pertussis antigens in infants of mothers immunized with Tdap is unclear. <laughs> right. It's 2018, and guess what, folks? This is unclear still. (laughs) We have been recommending universal vaccination for all pregnant women in the United States um, since about 2010, 2011. We're now 10 years into that. And they still don't know <laughs> crap. <laughs> I yeah. mean, think about that. Think yeah. about that statement. First of all, this study just showed us there's such thing as a blunted immune system. Okay, so we yeah. know it's a thing now. Right. Yeah. But what it's telling you is the significance of the fact that we know this now is unclear. Yeah. And it's like, well, shouldn't this stuff, shouldn't this <laughs> stuff be clear? My first, my, my first beep moment. Sorry, guys. Shouldn't this be clear before they are universally recommending it? Can we just have agreement on that? I know. That's, yeah, that's what I was saying, saying earlier. And, and you'll find that statement in any vaccine research study where they find a problem 
instead of saying, well, this could be a problem. Oh, <laughs> no, well, they always we, we say. We mistakenly, yeah. yeah. The, the significance of this is unclear. You know, we're going to have to, you know, do another study to, to look at that. And they're not going to, of course. But yeah, it, it's like science speak for, oh, no, we found a problem. But don't worry, everybody. It's not clear what that problem is. But we're so. not allowed to say what that problem is. And so they, yeah. they do say some of the limitations um, of the study are that they uh, were not able to really detect quote-unquote, rare adverse events following immunization, um, which means for the infants, or adverse pregnancy outcomes. They were not powered. The study was not powered to detect these. So if you look at the chart that they list for adverse events, again, it's um, soreness at the injection site, headache, fever, very mm-hmm. mild things. And, and it has a nice little chart to be like, oh, two people had this, 10 people had this. It doesn't have the other things like that we know um, exist, and they're, they're not even looking for those things as what they're saying. They're not looking for those types of things. And then they also say, um, at the end here, it says, finally, it is not known at what age in early childhood the antibody blunting effect disappears. They don't know what age this stops. This could be going on for several years, maybe forever. It said ongoing surveillance of pertussis in early childhood is needed when maternal immunization programs are implemented. Well, they've been implemented 10 years ago. So where is the surveillance of pertussis in early childhood to see what's happening to mothers that had the vaccine and how that's affected their ability to wear it, to, to hold it off? We don't know. And what this study is saying is we should know. <laughs> we should <laughs> we should probably try to find this out, guys. Yeah. It's unclear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but immunization is important and yes. everybody, every pregnant woman should go get their TDAP. Yes. That's what's so funny about exactly. all of this is like the final, the takeaway of all these things is like, it, it's working. It works. Yeah, it's not until you look through all, like, the, all the fine print where you're like realizing, well, I don't know. It works for this element and then totally jacks up this element over here. But it's like, I always think of the vaccine program like whack-a-mole. It's like <laughs> we're going to stop the incidence of disease of, of measles. We're going to stop the incidence of cases. But what they don't think about is the fact that now that shift, the burden has now um, – the burden of disease has shifted to infants and adults now. And right. now, so now the, the answer is to just blame everybody who's not getting vaccinated elsewhere, thinking if we get those numbers high enough, we'll, we'll be able to somehow protect these two new groups of people that are stuck dealing with this because of what we did over here. And it just feels like everything is, let's react now by just solving this one problem and nobody's stepping back and being objective enough to see what's going to happen after that. What's the domino effect to this one thing you're Mm going to adjust? Because as we know, nature is a very complex thing. And every time you mess with one area, it's like other stuff keeps popping up. And this is a perfect example of one of those scenarios that I've seen. Your, Your target is over here. So you think you're successful. You call it a success. And what you do is just kind of damage control the rest of the stuff that comes up. I hope nobody notices about it. Uh, I'm sure there are dozens of examples of this exact type of thing. But this was a new study, 2018, with the longest title I've ever seen. (laughs) So if you're interested, we'll have a link to it on the the website. And um, always feel free to comment if I post about it or you post about this, like comment back with your, your thoughts on it. I know it was, it's mm-hmm. a little bit complicated, um, this 
this is a lot more technical than some of yeah. the stuff we usually go into, but we like to bring you all things. And read it for yourself. Get an idea yeah. of what you think about it. And, and check all the, the references and all the um, other studies that they're referencing because, you know, that gives a lot of additional data and mm -hmm. supplementary uh, information. Yeah. Can yeah. I mention the other study briefly? Because it's kind of a brief discussion. We have talked about this. Right. Yeah, we talked about this last year. Um, we talked about it last year. But I want to highlight it because it it really sort of plays into the, the major problem with the acellular whooping cough vaccine, the vaccine we've been using since the mid-90s. And it might kind of explain, you know, why the vaccine is not working very well. And I'll just, I'll just allude to it briefly. The study is called the 112-Year Odyssey right. of Pertussis and Pertussis Vaccines, Mistakes Made and Implications for the Future. And this is by Dr. James Cherry, who is literally um, one of the grandfathers of pediatric infectious disease. He spent his whole life um, researching and, and working on um, whooping cough vaccines. And he's at UCLA. Um, he's right. very well respected. He like he wrote like like one of the you know I think uh, is very instrumental in in all the you know authoring all the pediatric infectious disease textbooks and and very know, um, pro vaccine. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very, very, very pro vaccine. So he wrote an article that basically just just talks in 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 a lot of detail about the problems with whooping cough vaccine. But one of his conclusions is very concerning to me. And he basically, he says, um, uh, because of something called linked epitope suppression, all children who are given DTAP vaccines will be more susceptible to pertussis throughout their lifetimes. And there's no easy way to decrease this increased lifetime susceptibility. He says, since 1997, the DTAP vaccination policy has created a cohort of people, the number of which is expanding every year, who are more susceptible now to repeated clinical illness with pertussis infection compared to all the kids who used to get the old whole cell uh, pertussis vaccine. And there is no way to make this cohort less susceptible. He's basically saying everyone who's getting those, those six doses – of, of, you know, a DTAP vaccine throughout childhood, including now all the pregnant women getting mm. Tdap vaccine, that is literally making you more susceptible to catching pertussis throughout the entire rest of your life. Right. And, and the reason, I'll, I'll try to explain it briefly, but the, the concept is, is called linked epitope suppression. It basically means that when you get a, an acellular pertussis vaccine, you're getting like five antigens, a very low number of antigens. And so your body's developing immune response to those five antigens. So yeah, so you have immunity to those, right? But the pertussis germ has like, I don't know if it's like a hundred, you know, hundreds or even thousands of different antigens. So when you get infected later with a pertussis germ, your immune, your immunity that you build artificially to the vaccine somehow actually stops your immune system from generating natural antibodies against those same proteins in the natural germ that's just infected you. So you therefore can't uh, mount a good immune response to the natural germ. 
because your vaccine antibodies are suppressing your own antibodies from being generated. Kind of similar to what, what we were talking about earlier with the maternal immunization. Mom's antibodies are preventing the vaccine's antibodies from, from generating. Well, the acellular vaccine antibodies are preventing your own immune system from responding to future whooping cough infections. That's kind of doing the opposite it's supposed to do. So, but I think what they're finding is the vaccine will still reduce, possibly reduce the severity of the infection for you. So you won't feel as sick, but you will still get infected and go through repeated clinical infections with whooping cough and even even being even more so more susceptible to that the whole rest of your life compared to kids who either were not vaccinated and had a natural infection at some point or compared to kids who got the old whole cell vaccine and so his, and that's another example yeah. that'd be all over the news right I know that, that should be and and Dr. Cherry came up with this so everyone right. in the infectious disease world you know they're probably rocked by this, and they're probably hoping no one, hoping no one's even hearing about this, and no one did, no one talked about this. And his answer is, if we just keep giving everyone a cellular vaccines every few years, their entire life, we'll at least keep that artificial immunity there, so they won't get severe disease. Yeah, but God, could you it's, imagine could you, getting a Tdap every? But it's still making you susceptible to to catching the infection. Yeah, but gosh, just the risk profile right. alone for. Yeah, you the rest of your life to have to do it that often. But but even if you don't get repeated boosters, just getting the the infant series mm-hmm. makes you more susceptible the right. entire rest of your life. And his answer is to go back to using a yeah, whole, whole cell, cell vaccine that um, has some of the most reactive components taking out. His answer is a better vaccine, and everyone's working on a better vaccine. Yeah. But this vaccine we've been using the last twenty two years. It's it it's messing things up so badly that what is a different vaccine going to do? Mm. They're not going to know what they're doing, and I, I think you know whooping cough. I think is probably the prime example of of we don't know what the heck we're doing mm. with this particular vaccine. We're changing it. Yeah. It's causing problems. Just it's like causing darts everywhere. Yeah, it's kidding. causing problems with 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 <laughs> the infection. The infection's coming coming back because the vaccine doesn't work well. So, it's a big mess. And their answer is just keep doing it anyway. Well, yeah, I you know. you the educated public can uh, just like the flu you know, shot. Can make your own decision. Yeah, yeah. I love that post. That doctor complained about how the flu hit his family. You know, they, they went to the the ER. People are terribly sick. Took Tamiflu. Yeah, yeah. We took Tamiflu. Gosh, I'm sure glad I got my, my I got all of us the flu vaccine. Who knows what would have happened? That was his conclusion. Yeah. Thank God we got the flu vaccine. Because <laughs> who knows how bad it would have been? I I'm know. thinking like to me that sounds pretty bad. Like that's worst case scenario to have to go to urgent care or the ER for the flu. If yeah, you can't manage the flu family. at home, I'm sorry. Like that's that's yeah. worst case scenario. To think that that's best case scenario yeah. because you got the vaccine. Like what world are you living yeah. in? Well, anyway, well, this was this was a Pertussis update, and uh, I think uh, two very important studies that were kind of missed, and I wanted to highlight those. and And so, I think I think that you know you can share this you know share this information with people who are you know you know pregnant, have young kids, they need to be aware of the drawbacks of getting the acellular pertussis vaccine. And now you guys know. All right. Anything else? We can keep we'll, talking. We'll wrap it up because okay. we have another episode to do. Right. And appreciate you guys so much. Um, 
Keep up with those amazing reviews, by the way. Um, even on the Media Education Facebook group. I love checking them out. And thank you guys for listening. And hope you enjoyed the vaccine conversation. Information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.